hopefully this is for for those listening you're finding a lot of value it's not just my kind of therapy session to kind of <laughs> talk about how how i'm feeling but Franklin Public Radio, anywhere on the internet, WFPR.FM, and in the local Franklin, Mass. FM radio dial, in the car, in ho- at the house, 102.9. Here in studio again with another session with our school committee member, Dave Callahan. Dave, thanks for joining me today. And again, thank you so much for the opportunity. Always yes. appreciate it. There's, there's plenty going on, and I think having talked at length about the budget last time we're going to go into this other topic (laughs) yeah yeah, one of many topics that we got going on um and uh right now you know we we, we're just on the heels of the uh, redistricting presentation and then you know kind of coming up on may 9th we'll have the the actual vote on the whole everything that we've we talked about in terms Mm -hmm. of redistricting so yeah this this conversation uh i think is you know get to, to chat a lot about redistricting the needs for it and what might kind of come of it too Mm -hmm. yeah and again clearly from your perspective there's no commitment that (laughs) and we're going to try to keep it at a high enough level to get some of the behind the scenes that's where we at least can do that as opposed to respectfully in an open public meeting you can get some questions answered but you're not necessarily going to wax pontificate on whatever you need to say at that point in time. So no, absolutely, and I know sometimes I do, and I gotta get some <laughs> some glares from around the room. But uh, yeah, we have more opportunity to kind of to, to chat now too, yeah. which is good. Yeah, so I appreciate you taking the time to do so. So at this point, clearly, you know, Davis Day was closed. There were some de- decisions made. We can't go back and redo those, but it was closed. We do need to redistrict, at least in my view. Um, although I won't presume to elucidate exactly how my thoughts because it's not about me it's about bringing the franklin folks along so and i know from your questions you were respectfully having some trouble understanding the proposal i think yeah a lot of it you know um a lot of it for me was kind of really trying to to suss out the like the why now Mm -hmm. aspect of it because yeah because you're right because it definitely you know if we look at it from a historical lens, you know, it, it started with uh, a lot of the DT, the Davis Thayer decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't wish to kind of Monday morning quarterback. I no. was not, I didn't have a no. seat at the table. I know that there was a lot of hours of meetings that, that went into those right. decisions. But, you know, at the end of the day, they took the, the children from Davis Thayer and then just merged them into, into Keller, where now it is being overutilized. And, and there is, they, they, they're having to be very creative with their space and with the Annie Sullivan space. Mm-hmm. It's a combined complex. Correct. And so it definitely is, there, there, there are some issues there. And I think maybe, you know, not as eloquently as maybe some of my other colleagues were, were saying, but what I was, what I was uh, kind of curious about during Tuesday night's meeting was, you know, kind of, what's the, what's the overall picture mm-hmm. looking like? Exactly where, where are we heading with this redistricting? And is it, is it just to solve that one issue uh, from the merger of Davis Sayer and mm-hmm. Keller? And then kind of, how is it going to allow us to springboard to the next right. decision? Yeah, I think in my understanding of it, and I'll go back since in my 15 years of reporting redistricts that we mentioned multiple times, including a report, I think it was either 2010 or 2011, 
where they were talking, the school committee was talking of the need to redistrict even back then. And that was it coming off a period where we did have modulars at all the elementaries. Um, Kennedy today, I believe, still has modulars. They're the only ones that are left. Um, they're not necessarily for classrooms, but they are educational space. It is beneficial use. Um, but coming out of that period where the modulars had gradually declined in use because the space needs were adjusting accordingly, the school committee at that point, 2010, 2011, and I can put the link to the uh, notes in that report, which I happened to find while I was looking for something else because I just have so much on my page. I mean, it's, just, <laughs> it's, it's a lot there that it has been talked of and now in the more recent piece i think the the key at least from my understanding was that you're buying some time by making some tweaks to where the allocations are but i think the bigger issue is you know the facility utilization which is now coming granted some work was done during this period because that had been left out of the castle Wolves piece and I think even one of the high points, at least for me, in terms of an understanding, and I think we talked when we were talking budget, in terms of the in-house uh, district programs for special ed, clearly saves us a whole lot of money. And Miriam was ballparking at least that it's approximately 30,000 as an average across the SPED special ed in-house programs versus approximately 80,000 per kiddo external placements. So that's 50,000 per kid. That's a healthy chunk of change that we could be spending and we're not because we're doing that in-house. But then that becomes part of the space because that in-house, and my speculation is maybe three to six, maybe 10. It's certainly not the utilization of like a 20 or 25 kids per classroom, but it's still valued space. And oh, by the way, it's valued money space. But then that still raises the big issue as to, okay, how do we balance the space amongst and deliver, as we talked of, the, the goal of, you know, the portrait of the graduate. It goes all the way from K to 12. Yeah, and that's was one of the things that, you know, I had brought up in the, in the meeting was because um, when I had, I had the um, opportunity to do tours of a number of the schools that morning on, on mm -hmm. Tuesday morning, and uh, the principal of Oak talked about, he understood, and he, he, fantastic guy, right out, came right out and said, I'm not trying to hide anything over here. Mm -hmm. It's like, we have space. We can do a lot, and whatever new opportunity that kind of comes his way in the fall or in, in future falls, he's all ready for. Right. And one of the things we talked about was to kind of, you know, if we could take some of those specialized programs, say from Keller, which, you know, is over capacity, that... You know, even you know, one classroom of that specialized program, which you know, again, to kind of your point, is might is only just a small handful of, of kiddos. Mm -hmm. um, if that specialized program was instead over at Oak, now it does open up a classroom of right. you know, twenty five right. uh, children, or again, just a classroom to be utilized for other activities sure. in other space. Uh, it's not. It's not as simple a decision as I think is what Paula Morano ended up jumping in on because of the nature of the individuals and the longevity that they've had in that particular program. Because it, right. it's not necessarily that they're going to move, you know, in the regular, they're going to be in the program for whatever that program is for their need. And what's the way that it's structured right now, and, you know, when we talk about uh, the cost savings, like that, 
you know, what we end up having in Franklin is specified programs at different schools, not not duplicated. So that mm-hmm. way, everything, you know, it's, it's right. really kind of centralized in terms of the cost. But then what's because of the way that the complexes are structured, where there's an elementary school attached to the uh, middle school, it also allows those programs to to stay at the same campus, which, mm-hmm. you know, so for a lot of the kiddos that do have some specialized needs, if they're able to stay from, you know, K to, to K to eight at, the, you know, getting, you know, at the same building, the mm-hmm. same complex. And right. there's a lot to be said about that. Um, in addition to just the fact that um, yeah, Paula had mentioned, too, that they, they just had some you know, rather expensive playground equipment that was just installed, just delivered. They're enhancing the program as we speak. Yeah, and so it's to, to kind of go and just to immediately say, well, forget about that. We're going to move it over there. It's not, you know, uh, it, it's not a quick fix. It's not the simple one. And that's that's a difficulty. There's, I know, um, you know, my, my colleague, uh, Ms. Stokes, uh, and I both kind of talked about, uh, you know, what are ways to just address the immediate problem of mm-hmm. kind of Keller and, and I had mentioned that. I also kind of mentioned um, there's the Bico lease, uh, right. the, the Bi County Collaborative, where we lease two on classroom Sullivan spaces side. on the yeah exactly. It's on the Sullivan side, so again, it doesn't you know provide that mm-hmm. immediacy. And then uh, additionally, too, it is some revenue. I think right. last uh, yeah, I heard a couple of years ago, it's about like like 35k. Right. And if, you know. Based on our last conversation about the budget, I'm not in a position to say we don't need that that money. Right. There's there's a lot a lot of complexity, a lot of difficulty, and no easy decisions, no matter which direction right. it goes in. No, no I think if not said uh, elsewhere, I think it's worth reiterating. Chloe redistricting is a tough decision almost any time, and I'll say almost because Chloe, when you got a new school, like in the before days when. The Remington Jefferson complex opened, or the Keller Sullivan complex opened. It was a new school. People were happy to move, so the redistricting made a whole lot of sense. You didn't have to answer the question why, mm-hmm. which is what we're struggling with now. But the why, to a certain extent, from my point of view, is we need to be efficient and effective in spending the little money we have, and if we can save a little bit of money by balancing and potentially closing another school, which is still something that's going to be a further decision because the data just just hasn't really spoken to that yet. I think it does, but we're not ready to go that way. That's not my realm. I'm just doing the reporting. But those discussions and those decisions need to happen, and that takes time. And I think one of the, you know, the issues and. Hopefully this is, for, for those listening, you're finding a lot of value. It's not just my kind of therapy session to kind of <laughs> talk about how, how I'm feeling. But one of the, the big things when you kind of talk about a lot of those difficult decisions and, and, and long-term kind of, you know, questions is, and I, I kind of spoke about this at the meeting too when talking about the portrait of the graduate and about how that goes to define so many different choices that if one of the things out of the Castle Booze, which has paid for, I don't know how much it cost. It wasn't there at the time, but it's constantly being referenced. It was, it was money well spent. One of their concepts was, um, it would be to, I think to to close one of the elementary schools to basically take, uh, all the complexes, the two existing ones, make them elementary, build a brand new elementary, take Horace Mann and Oak, turn that into Franklin's middle school, no other, other middle schools. And then, and then remain at the high school. And, for me, I think if, if we had something in writing to kind of say, 
you know, by 2033, this is where we would like to be. This is what we would like to look at. And by doing, say, a redistricting today, it just helps us better shift and better align to kind mm -hmm. of be over there. A lot of those, at least my kind of questions and my concerns Correct. might be a lot more uh, alleviated. And I think I, we had a listening session, my colleague, Miss uh, Camille Bernstein, and I, couple of weeks ago, we have another one coming up on May 7th from uh, Sunday 2 to 3 at the library. Mm -hmm. A lot of the conversations that were kind of popping up from community members, they all recognized the need, why uh, redistricting is part of that, like that utility belt. They understood right. why it might have to be necessary. It's just, there was a lot of concern of what happens next yeah. though are we you know are we just going to redistrict next are we just going to and especially when we can't talk about this in a vacuum we got you know with with the way the budget's shaping up right now and where it's shaping up in the future mm -hmm. there's a lot of hard choices that are going to come from sure. there too and i think there was there was i was hearing a lot of concern if we we do this now uh, might we be doing it again in a couple more years because we're kind of just continuing to react to situations mm -hmm. as opposed to try to align ourselves to a long-term goal. Right. Yeah, and to that end, it, it's going to be a hard conversation because it, it's not, I, I don't see an easy answer. It's not kind of like a one and done. Because it is such a complex environment, call it 4,700 students, another, what, six to 800 uh, professional personnel, support personnel, et cetera, et cetera. That's a lot of people in a set number of buildings. If we can still educationally deliver the road to the porch of the graduate appropriately in a slightly different structure that, oh, by the way, may actually save us some money, that, from a fiduciary perspective, we need to look at. But then how do we bring the people along? Because, oh, well, my kiddo's gonna be having this or that, but unless we tell the story and see the big picture, which to your point, what is that vision? What is, we know the vision of the portrait of graduate, but we don't know exactly the building blocks, literally, that, are, that make it in terms of the road to it. That, I think, is the biggest struggle that the district, school committee, the central office, and then the people the stakeholders as well as the parents are going to have to start getting to understand the details because it is moving parts. Mm -hmm. There's a lot there. Even on the demographics, the demographics have generally been good in terms of the recent study. They've been fairly close. I think the one significant exception was the ECDC that was, what, 170 versus 111 or something like that? Something on that kind of a scale of a change, mm -hmm. right? such that you now have had to adjust the budget to actually increase another classroom, et cetera, and thereby the associated personnel are gonna be in the next budget to fully support that, et cetera. But yeah, so the demographics are there. I don't see the demographics significantly changing. If we look at even the town administrator's budget report, he acknowledged that Franklin has lost population the last two years, right? And then Miriam said, based on the demographics, and the demographic study listed, I think it was 11 or 14 factors or something that, that drive the demographics. Clearly, interest rate is one, so interest rates are a little bit higher at this point, but they're still not absurd. Frankly, there have been higher rates in time, not that far, not that long ago. Um, 
But the biggest one, at least from my point of view, because my house happens to be part of that category, is that the large, the single biggest factor is the turnover of the single-family homes, right? We've got a, a depth, or a wealth of homes that are, according to at least a realtor that we've discussed in another podcast episode, there's 2,700 single-family homes owned by somebody for more than 20 years, right? So picture kind of the lifestyle. So we came in 25 years ago. So we came in with the two kids. The two kids are now gone. Wife and I are still in the house. So we fit into that category. And to the extent that there's 2,700 of them, I'm not alone, right? But using myself as an example, there's no place for me kind of to downsize and move into kind of the senior, more affordable, affordable in both little A as well as capital A, and reasonable. I mean, it's I, I don't need a two-story colonial anymore, respectfully. I just, but I'm stuck. So un, until we, as a community, which is what the town council is kind of going through, between some of the zoning stuff that they're looking at to increase the density in zoning. You know, I grew up in Pawtucket, Rhode Island, not that far away. Tenements, three-story tenements were prolific. You could not, until this zoning thing passes, you could not put a three-story tenement in Franklin. It wasn't zoned. And yet, we need that kind of density in order to afford delivering the services without facing a budget cut every year, mm -hmm. right? So that's where I think from a school side, they need to also understand the town side and help advocate for those zoning changes because unless those zoning changes happen, it, even if the zoning changes happen this year, it may still take two to three years for some of those people in that 2,700 single-family houses to start moving out, which then will bring in the other younger families with the kiddos so that our population will start leveling off, if not increasing again, which then will start buying into some of the increases the demographics did show. Because otherwise, if that block stays there, the demographics, if anything, I'm going to say they're going to start declining even more so, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And that makes it harder. I mean, what's the crystal ball? <laughs> you make a decision based upon the best info you have, mm -hmm. and then you can tweak it to the extent you can, but at some point in time, you got to make a decision. Absolutely. And I know that that, that was something that, um, you know, my colleague, uh, uh, Al Charles, who has been running this ever since right. uh, the space needs assessment, mm -hmm. and then that kind of just pulled in from one to the next, right. uh, had mentioned that, you know, in, in terms of, too, like, you know, when he, he you know, he wrote in the, in the report, it was written that, uh, you know, redistricting is, there's never a good time necessarily, you know, to, to redistrict. But he also kind of had that point to say that, you know, it's 19% right now. That's what the the numbers are kind of showing with its option. In terms to, of an affected uh, population. Yes, I'm sorry. Uh, for, yeah, for 19% of uh, the students would be redistricted. Mm -hmm. And he had, uh, there was this, uh, a great comment of his in the meeting where, Right now, all the population trends, while they are going down, there is that expectation that around 2027, it may kind of tick back up again. And what is 19% today might be, 
Charles had was commenting about how you know if the the population trends kind of go back up because right now you know when they when they look and they say well it's you know it, it's 19 percent of the impacted um, students if population trends do continue to go up and no decision is made before that time well 19 you know that that number is only going to grow even if it stays at 19 percent but the overall bucket and overall population is continues to go up higher at, at mm -hmm. that point in time yeah. now there's even more students that are being impacted and so if if no decisions are being made until you know at that point mm -hmm. or further there's going to cause even more disruption right <clears throat> or the alternative might be since at one point in time in order to accommodate kind of the bubble that was moving through the population we couldn't build schools fast enough, so we added modular units to the mm -hmm. existing buildings. If the bubble that is now coming may be slightly smaller, maybe it makes more sense instead of redoing a school, et cetera, that we would add an, a modular or two, you know, to provide us the capacity. And again, I don't think we're ready at that point to get there, but I think we need to move the people along with the data and the decisions to, to get to what are our options in terms of, given the numbers that are going, what what will we be able to do? Exactly, because that was uh, during the, the joint budget uh, subcommittee meeting, uh, Chairman uh, Tom Mercer had kind of like just toss it out there to kind of say like, well, what about closing a school? Because it had been done in the past for, mm -hmm. you know, a limited time to, and where, you know, uh, Miriam and, and Superintendent uh, Jagir kind of said, like, at, at this point in time, kind of based on the numbers, the elementary school, even though there is a declining in the population, it's it's not ready yet to kind of just close one entire school and just, you know, right. then merge everybody else across mm -hmm. uh, the three. But, again, yeah, it definitely needs to, to have some more of those long-term mm -hmm. ideas that everybody can kind of start right. to figure out to march to, to talk about, right. so that way we're all kind of hopefully moving in that, that yeah. one direction. And to the extent that it's specifically kind of the space related getting back to at least including that to the extent that if we continue to expand kind of the special needs in-house programs and that's using space then that needs to be part of you know instead of while we may be declining population but our special ed piece is increasing which in fact the last couple of years it has been based on what the numbers are showing mm -hmm then that's those are those are the other factors that are the moving targets and it makes it complex in terms of explaining but we need to mention those points so that people have kind of the full picture instead of well why <laughs> yeah because and, and i think that that was there was there was one map that was done across one of the studies and then i heard so many different ones i'm not sure specifically mm -hmm. which which organization kind of put forward but where uh there was it was initially some kind of misinformation because what was happening was they would say well if a classroom can support 25 students there's four classrooms 100 mm -hmm. kiddos over in this facility right. but not taking into consideration some of the the great programs that we have where it's like oh yes it, it can't fit 25 it could fit five maximum and it it really does kind of start to, to change the conversation mm -hmm. and especially if we as we kind of move forward if the those population trends continue to to go up, right. um, yeah, we need to be able to say well specifically where where are they going to go? Where are they going to be housed mm -hmm. uh, most effectively? So that way we're not kind of having one school that is you know the the one that's kind of busting at the seams. Right. Um, but again, by kind of having 
you know, these programs, substantial cost savings. And there is that, that qualitative aspect too, where right. everybody, you know, like there are Franklin kids that get to stay in Franklin and be in the Franklin community. Right. And that alone is, is priceless. You're minimizing the disruption to the entire family, never mind just to the entire community. You know, by the way, it's at a cost savings. Well, yeah, and, and we're saving $50,000 per. So, right. yeah. 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 So I think uh, kudos to you and your colleague, Ms. Bernstein, for, you know, taking the time to do those kind of listening sessions. I think those are key. Hopefully people will take advantage of those because it's a lot of things, while they can be discussed kind of in an open forum, respectfully, a lot of side conversations need to have. Not that they're meant to be side and not participate in other, but they need to be more one-on-one because everybody's situation is relatively unique. There's some commonalities. You've got kiddos in schools, you don't. There are different grades, different ages. At some point in time, they're going to go through, you know, their life cycle, moving from elementary, middle school, ultimately going to the high school, et cetera. Assuming you stay here, otherwise if you're going to move, then things have changed as well, right? Um, but then somebody else is going to be in that similar situation. So making sense of that and getting at least aware of all the details as to what's going on. And in this kind of, I'll say, kind of social media generated world where everybody's looking for sound bites and the quick solutions, um, I'm sorry, I don't see a quick solution. I don't see a sound bite that's really going to tell this story. I think if there were quick solutions, I get a lot more sleep at night uh, than I than I do right now. And but in, in I mean, the listening sessions they were just as helpful. You know, hopefully, they were as helpful to the public as they were to to Camille and I. Right. Um, it was it was great to be able to to listen to everybody's perspective to kind of find out there was um, one parent that kind of talked about someone within the neighborhood. It was kind of the lines that were being drawn were kind of cut right down, and of that there was there was one child across a whole grade that would be moved from one school to the next. Mm-hmm. And it's it's some of that stuff that you you know you, you don't always are going to be able to capture when we're just kind of looking at the lines and the numbers to be mm-hmm. able to say there's there's one kiddo out here who might really be nervous because all of his buddies, not just his class but his entire grade are staying behind at this this one school and he's moving over to this right. other school. Right. And I think that was also too. I think uh, I know Superintendent Jakir spoke a lot about the specific policy that uh, the attendance and about like the mm-hmm. where parents can kind of choose to kind of the exception to the rule exactly to kind of go from one school to the next to really kind of state that's not like that's not the backup that is that's a hardship that's a you know it's reserved for something else so is mm-hmm. and if if we move forward with the redistricting of of any kind of caliber those lines would for the most part, really kind of be, right. be set. That right. policy isn't going to help to kind of make those lines a little blurry. No. And so it's uh, what I found, I found really helpful to be able to have those listening sh- sessions. And, and again, hopefully we're going to hear more uh, individuals on May 7th, mm-hmm. but just to be able to, to put it into to more perspective. And mm-hmm. it's because it is, we have to take that, that quantitative and qualitative aspects of any decision as we as we start to embark on that next direction, mm-hmm. there's no silver lining in terms of if you did close X number of schools, you're going to save X number of dollars. Um, it, uh, the budget's the budget. Uh, you're going to have to justify all the needs, and in a tight situation, that in itself is <laughs> a situation to be dealt with anyway. Um, but 
yeah, then bring in the community and the town along with, oh, by the way, this is how we best think. And, you know, being inviting at least to say, this is the direction we think we need to go. What else may we consider if we haven't already to, you know, the listening points and beyond, listening sessions and beyond to get that other input. Um, at least I've seen in the experience with some recent ones as well, when three or four or five people start coming together, there's ideas coming from all of those and some may be coming up with solutions that others had not yet thought of. Right? So that's where there's the glory of kind of the, the group. It's it's not group thinking the bad way. <laughs> it's yes. group <laughs> synergy creating, oh, wait a minute, if you say this and I say this, then we can go here? You know, that kind of goodness out of it. Um, I. I've always seen that work. And that's where I, I think, um, because there was the like the working committee to, to bring together to, to the proposals that mm -hmm. went to the subcommittee and the leader of the full committee, that was, was like 50 or 50 yeah, yeah. Uh, individuals from all across the community. Right. And it is great because it does provide so much different input, many different perspectives. And, and, and that one I thought was was fantastic that mm -hmm. when uh, when my colleague um, Mr. Charles had kind of put that together in, in others as well but right. uh, to be able to say no we really want to try to have as many voices coming in mm -hmm. to provide those just extra ideas yeah. is always helpful yeah yeah because as, as well it, it's a defensive mechanism but I don't mean to demean it by that at all um, but in, in order to take people along the way, you need to have enough people at the table to say that we had the representation, right? And then it's also be a part of their participation to take back and share within their circles so that everybody along the way kind of moves along. It may evolve a little bit. We go this way, go that way. It's not always going to be the straight line. Um, we may look backwards and say, oh, it was a straight line. <laughs> Sometimes it seems a little bit more crooked on the way going, but at least you're going together. Or we're going together. And Yeah, and that's where I, I, I think i um certainly hopeful for that portrait of a graduate, but in terms of uh, the facilities, mm -hmm. to be able to kind of say that agreed upon outcome. And because uh, I think there's, there's also some kind of future proofing involved as well. Like when, when I, when I was running and, and, you know, then especially when I became, uh, was on the school committee, I really studied the portrait of a graduate to make mm -hmm. sure to say, well, this is, this is already the agreed upon thing. This is established law that now we're going to work towards. And where, when when one decision is kind of be made after another decision, there isn't that established law, and I, I do think that that is kind of helpful because any of these decisions that we're going to be making, even the uh, right now the vote on May 9th, uh, the proposal which is to to kind of almost quasi start it in the fall with with buffer zones where families can elect to go to what will be their new school in fall of 2024. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, so even the decision we're going to make in, in a couple of weeks isn't truly going to be hitting every single household until, you know, a year and a half from right. now. Right. Things, you know, could change. Uh, things certainly will change, you know, like, like from, uh, from now until then. And I do think it, it could be helpful to kind of have that, that document to kind of say so that way, you know, no matter 
you know, who's at the helm, no matter, you know, what, you know, what, who's in the seats at the table, everybody kind of keeps looking at that in the same fashion that we look mm-hmm. at the portrait of the graduate to say, oh, okay, this is where we're heading to. This is what we're going to do. And all the decisions are going to lead us to this point. How best can we do that? As opposed to this is where we're at. What's going to be the, the next best decision to kind of solve the existing mm-hmm. problem that we're right. seeing now? Challenging issue, but you know, people rise to challenges. <laughs> And that's the call to action in this case. So thank you for taking time to share some of your views, some of your insights. Hopefully the listeners will both listen and react, respond appropriately, of course. Continue the civil conversation, which will get us to a happier place. Certainly, even after May 9th, where still life won't end on May 9th. <laughs> there still is other things to do. Um, but thank you for taking time. Uh, hopefully the people will appreciate that. and. I'm sure they can certainly contact you and reach out and participate in the listening session as well on May 7th. Absolutely. Please, would love to, all, I know all of my colleagues would love to, to hear from you. Uh, and, uh, and it'll be myself and my colleague, Miss um, Camille Bernstein, at the library. We would love to be able to hear any other perspectives before uh, that May 9th vote. Mm-hmm. So until then, if you haven't seen the report, the report will be linked in the show notes. Read the report, digest it, reach out participate in listening sessions, tune in May 9th, and the road will continue, the story will continue, but you can be part of developing the story of where we really need to be, and that's the key message, I think. And final reminder, we do this because Franklin matters. We are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. And by the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.